For nearly half a century, we've known that drinking alcohol during a pregnancy can harm an unborn child, causing lifelong challenges. But the rate of children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is higher than expected and could outpace more widely understood disorders such as autism. But because of the cause, this is a disorder that comes with a high degree of stigma on top of the huge need for family supports. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at how great the risk of FASD is, who is most affected, and how myths and stigma complicate understanding of the disorder. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to say thanks for everybody who's taken the time to subscribe and leave us comments and reviews. If you haven't yet, please do all of those three things. Go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review, five stars, five's my favorite number, and leave us a comment. I'd love to know what you think of this show. Vanessa Hervatin is the recipient of the 2018 Michelle Lang Fellowship in Journalism. Uh, So Vanessa, what sparked your interest in fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? So it actually uh, came up about two years ago now when I was doing some freelance work and I was assigned a story um, on FASD. Ontario had just gotten their first FASD strategy. So I was assigned to write a story about it and um, I got connected to a few people in the FASD community and I wrote this story and I was only allowed about 500 words. So I put forward this 500 word story. And then I just felt like there was so much more to explore um, based on just the few people I'd spoken to. And I kind of had noticed right off the bat that there really isn't much media attention when it comes to FASD. So I just thought it would be a really interesting topic to explore and something that uh, we don't talk about often enough. And so for people who don't necessarily know what it is, give us a brief breakdown of FASD. Sure. So FASD stands for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So as the name suggests, it is a spectrum. So you can have, you know, people that are super, super high functioning and you might not even notice that they have um, any brain-based disorder. And then you might have people on the other end of the spectrum where it's quite obvious. So uh, it is a brain-based disorder. It happens when um, a fetus is prenatally exposed to alcohol and there's a range of effects that can happen. Um, Things like memory can be impaired, uh, learning ability, speech impairment, um, uh, impulsivity, hyperactivity, tons of things that are really based on um, the brain. But the other thing that's coming up is that there's been some research recently about how it really is a full body disorder. So depending on when the fetus is exposed to alcohol in utero, you can get a wide range of effects on all different parts of the body. So um, there was a study out of UBC a couple years ago now that found hundreds of comorbidities associated with FASD, things like um, ear problems, lupus, higher rates of cancer, all these sorts of things. Wow. And what's the prevalence uh, of FASD in Canada? So that's a really interesting question. Uh, up until this year, we actually didn't have a prevalence uh, study based in Canada. So we were using American statistics. And the Americans had estimated about 1% of Americans had FASD. So um, up until this year, that's the stat that we were using as well. Uh, but back in April, a general population study was released for the first time. And uh, researchers found that probably closer to 3 or 4% of Canadians have FASD. And that's also 
expected to be an underestimate um, for a lot of reasons. It's really hard. In order to get a diagnosis, you need confirmation that there was prenatal exposure. And for a wide range range of reasons, that can be super hard to get. So they can do all sorts of psychological testing or, or physical testing, but at the very core of it, they need confirmation that there was prenatal exposure to alcohol. Exactly. So the 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 way that it actually works is it's it, there's an FASD test and it's it's a team of usually at least four people, uh, including a psychologist, a social worker, a speech language. Uh, pathologist and a occupational therapist. So there's um, kind of like diagnostic guidelines that they follow for an FASD diagnosis, but that process can't actually start until there's confirmation that there is prenatal alcohol exposure. So that either needs to come from mom saying, yes, I was drinking during this pregnancy, uh, or it can come from some other reliable source. So a social worker, maybe grandma who was around and, and saw what was going on. And because it's a spectrum, is it in some cases harder to spot or or even suspect in a child that they may have FASD? Definitely. So it's been really interesting. Um, one of the big things in the FASD community is that they suspect, you know, a lot of kids are misdiagnosed or just go completely undiagnosed because it is very hard to spot. And also because it's such a taboo topic, you know, if you suspect someone has it, how do you bring that up with mom, right? How do you how do you try and get that prenatal alcohol confirmation? And um, there was a study done out of the states actually um, a few years back now that found uh, they were studying a group of kids uh, who were in the child welfare system, and they found that about. of the kids were misdiagnosed with or undiagnosed. And the biggest uh, group that were misdiagnosed, they were diagnosed as having ADHD when in fact they had FASD. What's leading to that misdiagnosis, do you think? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think part of it is definitely, as I mentioned, um, the whole taboo factor around this issue. So um, it's hard to ask that question. I I had a physician um, who was talking to me. She works at an FASD clinic up in Edmonton. And um, she was saying, you know, a lot of clinicians, if they're especially if they're working with, you know, upper middle class women who have good jobs, it's really hard to ask the question, well, were you drinking during this pregnancy? So because ADHD mimics a lot of the Um, signs and symptoms that you see with FASD, sometimes it's just easier to give that diagnosis and there's, there's less stigma around it, right? Now, because this is caused by a behavior, drinking during pregnancy, you already mentioned there's, there's a stigma around it, um, a sense of shame. How does this affect uh, the lives of parents and their children who are dealing with this? As I was doing this project, um, when I first started, I, I quickly realized that all the parents I were talking to were adoptive parents. So they had adopted their kids through the child welfare system, um, and, and now their kids had a FASD diagnosis. So most of them had taken on these kids and uh, had no idea that FASD was in the cards for them. Um, then I also was lucky enough to speak to about a dozen moms who were birth moms and um, told me their stories about, you know, their drinking during their pregnancy and most of them um, currently have their children. So there's kind of two different perspectives, I guess, when it comes to this issue. So 
I would say with the birth moms, a lot of them really struggled um, just to kind of get over that stigma that they felt, um, you know, on them every day. And I had one mom say every time she sees her son struggle, she just cries because she just feels so horrible that that was something that she felt feels responsible for. Um, And then you have the other spectrum of the adoptive parents who many of them didn't know when they adopted their children and it took them years to kind of figure it out. So there was the initial challenge of what is this and having to go backwards trying to get maternal confirmation from a mom that they probably have never spoken to. And then, you know, trying to learn about this disorder. And many of the parents I talked to adopted several kids um, that ended up with an FASD diagnosis. So obviously that's challenging, um, you know, on a daily basis for them. Now, there's a lot of messaging on the preventative side of things that talks about, well, just don't drink when you're pregnant. Just not one drop, don't drink. But it's not that simple, is it? No. And that's what's really interesting. I spoke to someone um, who actually said to me, you know, back this disorder was first kind of recognized in the 70s. And by the 70s, 80s, and even 90s, that was kind of the the thing that people were doing, just saying, well, if we educate women and just say, you know, don't drink during your pregnancy, uh, then FASD is going to go away. People are going to get it and that's going to be it. And it's so much more complicated than that. Of course, there's first of all, the issue that a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant um, for several weeks Mm -hmm. into their pregnancy. And we have evidence that early drinking early on in your pregnancy, especially binge drinking, can be very harmful to the fetus. So so there's that whole issue of just simply not knowing. Um, And then, of course, there's issues around addiction and trauma. So I met we I met one woman here uh, in Calgary who basically said to me, you know, at the time she's clean and sober now, but at the time that she was pregnant, she said no amount of messaging would have helped me. I was so addicted to alcohol that I, I couldn't stop. Um, and that's true for a lot of the women that I've met over this past year. And a lot of them have faced a lot of trauma in their lives. And um, alcohol was a coping mechanism. So it's much more complicated than just saying, well, you know, don't drink while you're pregnant. Now, you mentioned that you talked to some some birth moms who were on the the side where they didn't know they were pregnant and they had spent some time binge drinking. What are their stories or what, what do they have to say about how this has affected them or, or how they view their child or, or their lives? Yeah, so there's been quite a few that I've spoken to who just simply did not know that they were pregnant and stopped drinking the moment that they found out. Um, And there was one woman in particular who had a really interesting story of um, it took her about six years to figure out that her child had FASD because to her... The moment she found out she was pregnant, that was the moment the pregnancy became real. And that's when she stopped drinking. So when people were asking her questions like, was there any drinking during the pregnancy? She said no, because in her mind, there wasn't. So I mean, for these women, I think that, like I said, they have the challenge of every day when they see their children struggle, um, you know, it pulls at their heartstrings because they feel like it's something that they could have prevented. Um, and, and you know, every day they feel like, you know, shame and stigma that's been placed on them. But at the same time, a lot of them have worked really hard um, through different, you know, counseling and this sort of thing to to just really forgive themselves and know that, you know, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't intentional. And the one thing that I hear from everyone in this community all the time is no one drinks to hurt their baby. Like no one, no mother is intentionally trying to hurt their child. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely, it's a hard, it's, it's hard for them. And a lot of them 
lost their children at some point um, and then and got them back at another. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just kind of a, something that they've worked through on their own. And it's I, you mentioned that, you know, for for some, the pregnancy didn't start until they knew that they were pregnant. It's hard to prevent against something that you don't know is is going on um, on the addiction side. Uh, people who are dealing with drug and alcohol addiction, what do experts or even uh, some of these parents feel could be a good way to to prevent future cases of FASD in, in through mothers who are dealing with addictions? That's a good question. And it's, it's a really tricky one. So for the most part, um, just supporting women throughout their pregnancy to have a healthy pregnancy has been the major message. So there's different programming um, across the country. So for example, we actually spent some time on this project up in Surrey, BC, um, at a shelter called the Maxine Wright Community Health Center. And so they have a shelter uh, and you either have to be pregnant or have a child, a young child. And um, the idea there is to just meet women where they're at and give them the support that they need. Um, there's a program, Alberta, they started a FASD strategy about 10 years ago, and they took on the model called PCAP, Parent-Child Assisted Programming. And so women who um, are either, who are struggling with substance use get assigned a worker, and that worker is there to support them throughout their entire pregnancy and three years after so until their child is three years old um so the idea is really just to try and support these women meet them where they're at so i mean you've we've all heard you know you can't force someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol to stop it has to be something that they work through themselves so it's just there to provide the support so that seems to be kind of the go-to um method across the country and just you know kind of acknowledging that um we need to not be judgmental we need to try and just meet these women where they're at and give them as much support as possible and i've also heard over and over again that the women who have a child with FASD, that's one group that we should really be working with to try and prevent any further pregnancies of FASD from those women. Now, when we talk about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, who are we talking about? What, who is this affecting? I, I think that uh, in some of the notes that you sent me, you were talking about one of the biggest myths is it's a low socioeconomic class of people who are affected by this, but you found out that that wasn't the case. Yeah, exactly. So historically, this has always been seen as an issue that always affects, that that only affects um, women of low socioeconomic class, that it only affects Indigenous women, that it only affects, you know, this very specific group of women. And I think that that's kind of halted our progress in a lot of ways because it's been kind of this, oh, it's us, it's not me, or sorry, it's them, it's not me. This this would never happen to me. Um, and, and, you know, that just is not simply not true. If you look around um, the data, for sure, you know, vulnerable women are, are more, you know, have a higher risk, that's for sure. But there is no concrete data that suggests that, you know, just women of low socioeconomic class or just Indigenous women are having kids with higher rates of FASD. The data just actually isn't there. Um, and if you look at some of the research out of the states, they've actually found that women who live in wine country <laughs> are the most likely to continue drinking throughout their pregnancy. So I've really learned and I've met a lot of women who, you know, they're just your your average woman. Like one of the women that we spent a lot of time with, um, she was a nurse. You know, she had a nursing degree. She was working and and she just started drinking and, and it became an addiction. So 
I think the lesson here is until we start seeing this as something that could, you know, affect every woman and any woman, um, then we won't be able to get rid of that that stigma. Looking at the children uh, who are dealing with a lifelong diagnosis, uh, what challenges are they facing through their lives? Yeah, so it's a because it's a spectrum. It really, really is a range. There's this kind of this saying where you've, if you've met one person with FASD, you've met one person with FASD. So, um, but you know, from from a younger age, um, some of them struggle with language is is a big thing. Um, organizational skills is another huge thing. And and a lot of these things seem kind of small, but then if you think about how that impacts you in your daily life, it can actually be quite significant. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I met um, a young lady, she's 18. And um, when we asked her, we, we were filming and we asked her to please say her name and then spell it. Um, she couldn't do that because it was too many instructions at once. Hmm. So it's overload. It's overload for the brain, right? So you need to break it down and say, okay, what's your name? And then she was able to say it. And now can you please spell it? So it's something that simple, but, but you know, if someone doesn't know you have FASD, you expect an 18 year old to be able to do something like that. Um, so it really hinders a lot of their uh, progress, I guess, throughout life. If people don't understand what the disorder is, um, then there's of course more, extreme um, examples. So a lot of these kids struggle with impulsivity. Um, They do things, they don't quite understand consequences. That's a big thing. Um, So, you know, if I get into a car and I hitchhike, well, that's not safe, but the child might not understand why that's not safe. So even though you tell them not to do it, they'll continue doing it because they don't make the connection that it's not safe. Um, So it can be quite, there are some things that can be quite scary, I guess. And then uh, as they get older, if they haven't had the support, there's a lot of um, mental health is really overrepresented in the FASD population. Um, So a lot of them struggle with depression and anxiety and and these sorts of things. So I mean, it, it really is just a range of things that can that they can struggle with throughout their entire lives. And looking broadly at the status of care across Canada, what is care like? Does it vary province by province? Is it dependent on where you're located in a certain province? What is it like for for parents and children? Yeah, so it, it does vary by province. And that was kind of a struggle that we had when addressing this project. Um, there is no national FASD strategy. So it's really left up to each province. So some provinces have had a strategy in place, some have never had one. Um, and then if you think about a lot of uh, things that are impacted for these kids fall under, you know, health, education, criminal justice system, and those are all dealt with provincially. So it really does depend um, where you live in terms of how how much they see FASD as a priority. So even, for example, um, getting a diagnosis, like there are places in Eastern Canada, there are provinces like New Brunswick, for example, um, they have one clinic for the that serves the entire province. Uh, so I mean, if you live there, and you, you know, it could be a couple of years before you even get a diagnosis in the first place. So it really does range across the country. So you went into this project after having written a, a 500 word feature on uh, FASD, and you wanted to explore it a little more. What were you surprised most by what you learned through the past year? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I think what surprised me most, to be honest, is how many positive stories I found. I kind of went into this thinking 
this is going to be a really depressing subject. It's going to be, you know, really challenging to talk to people about. I'm going to have, you know, all these people who have really challenging lives. And and that's kind of what I was expecting going into it. And I kind of came out being like, you know, a lot of these people, while they do have challenges, they've done an amazing job of, you know, of parents, parents have done an amazing job of supporting their kids. The kids have done, you know, have lots of successes. So I think that to me um, was one of the more surprising and I guess a happy surprise. (laughs) It was nice to see that there were a lot of positive stories that we could tell. And what do you hope comes out of this reporting? I think there's several things that I hope, but the number one thing I hope is that people are just more aware of this disorder. You know, we hear all the time that with other brain-based disorders like autism, I mean, you say that word, no one would ever ask you what autism is. Um, And then you say FASD and people are often, oh, what is that again? Or, oh, what what is that disorder? Like, what does it mean for the child? So I hope it just raises more awareness about the disorder in general. And then my second big thing is I really just hope by telling um, quite a few stories about these these women who did drink while they were pregnant, I hope that it kind of alleviates some of the stigma around this subject. Because honestly, once you've talked to these women and you hear their story, I can't imagine anyone reading their stories and and still, you know, having anger towards them or anything like that, because they really are powerful stories. And a lot of them, you can see how that could happen to anyone. So I really hope that people, uh, you know, read, read and watch this project and uh, just aren't, don't feel like it's such a taboo subject after. Well, it's very important work, Vanessa. Thanks very much. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Editing help this episode from Leah Hennel. Thanks to my guest, Vanessa Hervatten. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.